0: Welcome to Fundamentals of Canadian Law. I'm Matt Shepard, and I'm pretty good with grammar. But sometimes, I make mistakes. Most of us do. But have you ever made a $2.1 million error? We're going to talk to Law 204704 course developer, Peter Kisick, about how a comma cost a telecommunications company $2.1 million and springboard from that into a talk about some common contract pitfalls. This podcast is brought to you by the Queen Certificate in Law, the only online certificate in law offered by a law faculty in Canada. You can find out more at takelaw.ca. Let's check in with Peter about big money and bad grammar.
1: Let's talk about a $2.1 million comma. A $2.1 million comma. Yeah, this is probably one of the most notorious recent examples of a of a of a contract case in Canadian in, in recent Canadian case law. Um, Rogers Communications, the telecommunications giant, had a contract with uh, Bell Alliant for the use of transmission poles in the Maritimes. And Bell Alliant received approximately $9 for every poll, and there were some odd thousand polls across the Maritimes. And they had a contract that basically said that it was a five year term at this set price. And there was a termination clause that, depending on how you interpret it, either said you're locked in for five years and then you can terminate it after the five years. Or you can terminate it any time prior to the five years being over. It's kind of hard to show you this in radio, but that's uh, that's essentially what it amounted to. Um, to make a long story short, Bell Alliant was able to raise the price of the transmission poles from nine dollars to approximately thirty dollars within the first term as the regulated regulated uh, price. I guess the CRTC had something to do with that. Right. So Alliant said. I think we should terminate this contract so that we can re-sign a new contract at $30 rather than $9.60. Roger said, you cannot do that. You are stuck in this contract for five years. The difference between those two outcomes was $2.13 million, okay? Um, At the end of the day, the case was decided on the placement of a comma. A single comma. A single comma that was included in the termination clause basically lost the case for Rogers. Had they not put that comma um, in the contract itself, uh, basically they created a, a clause that could be removed from the contract, for those, of, those who care about grammar, and I'm not even sure what that clause is called, but um, that's, in, in essence, what happened. Um, and uh, had they not done that, they would have, they would have uh, been able to say, Bella Alliant, you're stuck with this contract for five years at the $9 price.
0: Right. So, And, and this is a great illustration. I mean, this is obviously um, $2.1 million is a fairly extreme example, mm-hmm. but it's a
1: great example of how tricky contracts can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, a contract, in essence, is the the ultimate form of a private law. We talk about private law and public law. Well, two parties enter into a contract to create some rules between them for their ongoing interactions. Um, you can get those rules wrong, and I think that's what you know inadvertently Rogers decided to do. Um, I love contract law. I think it because it's, it's, it's not just that it's quirky. It's complicated. It's, it, it, it's human. A lot of people think contracts are dehumanizing. It's very, it, it's very human. What you're trying to do is, uh, antis- you're trying to regulate to, uh, yourself and some other party going forward to some degree, you'd like to get the better of that relationship. And right. you're doing this fr- from the outset. Um, and because, People who have been doing this for three or 400 years, um, a body of laws has been created that is incredibly complex, um, fascinating to study. Um, yes, you might say, well, the absurdity of a comma costing $2.1 million, $2. million, I find that fascinating. Right.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I guess... So contracts come up a few times in certificate courses. There's yeah. a module on contracts in Law 201. Right. And obviously contracts play heavily in the course you developed, Law 204704, correct, yeah. corporate law. Um, but after, even after just the module in Law 201, it was amazingly revelatory to me how I walked away from that and thought... It's all contracts. I mean, I'm doing contracts all the time. I'm married, so I mean, like, if there is, probably I'm sure your work, wife would love you reducing your
1: your <laughs> your marriage to a contract, Matt.
0: Uh, but there is, there is a constant series of negotiation and agreement in a mm-hmm. relationship, mm-hmm. and that kind. Of, it's it's just interesting to see how much the the idea of a contract maps onto my life and to everyone's
1: life. Absolutely. When I first introduced the notion of contract law, and yes, you're absolutely right. Um, we do. Uh, probably four or five unit, four or five of the modules in law 204 relate either directly or indirectly to contracts so it's either the focus of the module or it underlies so many different modules when i introduced contract law i asked the uh, the class so how many con- what what contracts have you entered into today and somebody will timidly put up their hand well i think i've got a lease yes that's a contract you're living under that lease Um, And then a few people say, well, I've got a job. I guess maybe I have an employment contract. And then Sona gets quiet. And I say, did you buy a coffee today? Right. Well, that was a contract. It's a simple contract, but it's still a contract. Two parties are exchanging things of value. Right. You attend Queen's University or whatever university you happen to be attending. There are, uh, you basically have entered into a contract with that uh, education provider. My syllabus in some ways is a contract with you. I promise to do some things for you and this is what you have to do for me. So yes, I don't want to say your entire life is governed by a contract and you are in in a sense, right? I mean, a marriage is a type of contract, albeit one that, that the common law doesn't really want to get involved with. Right. Um, there are, we, enter, we, Enter into contracts, probably a dozen contracts every day without even realizing. It.
0: Right. I mean, I, I took the bus here this morning. So I am exchanging, I mean, basically I'm paying in advance for a service I expect to be rendered to me, which is that the bus will go where it's supposed to go and drop me off where
1: I need to get dropped off. That is exactly right. So that's, that's a little tiny contract in my life right there. And the essence of a contract really is the exchange of something called valuable consideration. That's the, the, the legal term for that. I like that the civil code talks about the exchange of obligations. And I kind of like that in the sense that you know you're in a contract when you're obligated to do something. Right. Okay. So I know that when I, when, or you should know, when you pay the money, to put, pay your fare to the bus driver, you expect that he will deliver that service to you. He's obligated to do that once you've paid your fare. Okay um, once I present that syllabus to my class, they can expect that that 's the way they 're going to be graded, for instance, so right. it sets up this obligation but what we we refer to it in um, in in common law is the exchange of consideration, and actually, the way the common law sees a contract as i say if you buy a coffee that 's a contract you 're right you 're exchanging money for coffee, but the common law actually sees a contract is slightly more complicated event than that. I promise to do something for you, Matt, and ex- in return, you promise to do something for me. And the exchange of promises is actually the contract, not the doing of the contract, but the promise to do something. So if I said, Matt, I will uh, cut your grass for the next six months for $100 and each time I cut your grass, and you agree to that, we're in a contract now, even though I won't have to cut your grass for another right. month and a half. But I have to agree to it. Yes, you have to actually accept those right. terms. Correct. And
0: I, I th- so I think the stumbling block before I started learning more about contracts, in my head, a contract is a piece of paper with a bunch of stuff written on it, and one person signs and the other, and that's, a, but that's, no, contracts
1: aren't necessarily written, contracts that's Correct. are everywhere. Yeah, I, 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 another question that I will often throw out, because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what a contract is or is not, so I said in my class, so if a contract's not written down, is it a contract? If it's not written down, is it a contract at all? And the answer is yes. The common law doesn't just see uh, the exchange of written pieces of paper or signatures as being a contract in most cases. There are exceptions to that where uh, the government has said if you want to enforce a contract, it has to be in writing. But, yeah, a contract can be written, oral, or actually implied by circumstance, meaning that you could have a contract just by how you have actually – You've created the impression in the other side that that you would do something, and they've relied on that. So contracts are a little more complex than we might think. And a lot of people do think of that um, long, tedious piece of paper that they sign. Um, Some people would think of, I just installed a new app, um, and I went through all the terms and conditions, and all I really need to do is click, I agree, I accept and some people say is that really a contract at all well, of course it is yeah you've accepted that so all of these different ways the key thing here is that you've accepted an obligation right million dollar commas aside what what are we getting wrong what
0: is what are some things that you've seen that are pretty common mistakes uh, for people to make especially yeah. when they're entering into a
1: contract kind of which is in their head is sort of a formal contract. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the things that we do in in Law Two Hundred Four. This is a bit of a digression, if you don't mind. Before I answer the question, is I do a, a, a two module set on the importance of contract business contracts for set up businesses, and then how to structure and draft them. And I one of the ap, uh, exercise we go through are the common mistakes that lay people make when they actually set up a contract. Number one is. If it's important to you, do uh, do reduce it to writing. Right. Um, yes, the common law accepts oral and implied contracts, but it's a lot harder to remember what an oral contract is, really hard to prove an implied contract. If it's important to you, this is something that's supposed to regulate your activities, and more importantly, the other side's activities going forward, put it in writing. So that's step number one. I think people don't... Re- uh, I think a lot of people, when they enter into business relationships, see a, uh, a contract as being a bad thing, as if that it's somehow putting a uh, uh, a wall between the two people who are carrying on business, as if now it's too formal, we cannot not going to be able to work together. Right. It, it, it's along the notion of, well, fences make for good neighbors, then contracts actually make for good business partnerships, I would suggest.
0: Okay. So it's it's not a matter of reducing a friendship to a transactional environment. It's just
1: making sure there's some common sense in the framework of the friendship. Right. Right. I, absolutely. I think, I think we discussed in, an, in another podcast about partnerships, yep. and one of the things that I suggested you do is create a, a partnership agreement from the outset because people have these understandings in their head about how the relationship is going to proceed. The other side may not. Right. So let's put that in writing. So one thing is put it in writing, but also assume that you need a contract don't assume that a contract's going to offend. Okay. Okay. Um, The other thing is people like to try to be nice and finesse things in contracts. Contracts create obligations. It's an exchange of obligations. So people will put their motivations in contracts or they'll say, it's really important to me that you not compete with me. Well, do you want that person not to compete with you? Or is it otherwise? Right. So, whenever you put a provision in a contract it has to obligate somebody to do something okay and that somebody has to be the other party to the contract so that's something that a lot of uh, lay people will do is they will try to make the contract nice right be direct does it ob- does that uh, sentence actually cause somebody to do something Right, and it doesn't. Then that's the case. But probably by far and away the most important thing, and uh, this is where the um, sort of the anal retentive corporate lawyer in me, uh, my hackles get up, is people are not precise. Right. Okay. Uh, contracts usually fail because they are imprecise. Um, if you're going to be using the same word over and over, let's say I'm buying your buying assets from you or from your business then I should define the word assets somewhere in the agreement. Because if I keep talking about Matt's, uh, Matt's assets or the assets or your business stuff or your furniture, those all mean different things. Right. Let's have one definition of what you mean. So people are not precise enough. And so contracts end up having more than one meaning. I mean, legitimately, Bell Alliant and Rogers could argue different meanings of the same sentence all because of a comma. That's lack of precision. So there seems
0: to be a, a sort of a, a dual mandate to speak plainly. Yes. Uh, but also
1: be as specific as you possibly can be. Correct. That's correct. Um, speak plainly is a is a, is a really good one. Um, I do get a little bit of abuse from some of my students about lawyers and their use, uh, their penchant for taking three or four perfectly good prepositions and putting them together into words like here and after. Right. Right. Or whereas. okay. Um, What we would refer to as legalese. A contract is meant to be a private law between two parties. If they don't understand what it means, it's useless. Uh, So the notion of using legalese actually is somewhat pointless in a sense, because if the parties can't regulate themselves, what good is that contract going forward? So, yes, speak plainly, but speak precisely.
0: That makes perfect sense. I, I, think, I think we should get together again. What I'd really like to do is actually pop open one of those EULAs that I'm constantly seeing. Every time I update my phone, there's yes. like 10 pages. I would love to sit down and just go through one of those with you at some point. Sure. Uh, but for now, I think, I think this has been great.
1: Thanks, cool. Peter. Well, yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Matt.
0: Thanks to Peter Kissick. If you'd like to see the comma in question, we have it featured on the blog post for this podcast episode at takelaw.ca. And if you're interested in contracts and contract law, you'll get two dedicated modules on the subject in Corporate Law, Law two oh four seven oh four at takelaw.ca. Fundamentals of Canadian Law is recorded at Queen's University, situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Our theme music is by Megan Hamilton, who's also a staff member here at Queen's Law. You can find out more about her music at meganhamiltonmusic.wordpress.com.